All right, welcome in. It's First and Ten, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. Got a big show for you today. We are fully into bowl season. We are mere days away from the college football playoff, national semifinals, or as I like to say, the let's see who can keep the SEC from winning yet another national championship. Happened last year. Happened last year with Clemson. We'll see how it plays out this year with Clemson and Alabama playing in the Sugar Bowl in Georgia and Oklahoma playing in the Rose. We will break down those games fully. We'll talk about the most dangerous team in the tournament. And we will look at all the SEC games, the full slate of bowls that will really determine and dictate how we see this league from the 2017 season. But first, we need to take care of some housekeeping business and talk to you about our good friends at TicketCity.com. Look, I said bowl games are here. You haven't got your tickets yet. And you're walking around in Pasadena, or you're walking around in New Orleans, and you're thinking, you know what, maybe I'll just use a scalper. Somebody will have tickets, right? I mean, I'll wait till five minutes before the game, and I'll get something face value. You won't. It's not going to happen, okay? So if you got a chance to be at a game, and you want to go watch a game, a game of a lifetime, you got to go to TicketCity.com. Look, we've been working with TicketCity.com for years. They are the experts in college football, having served more than 1.5 million customers. They've been the place to go for SEC tickets for almost 30 years. The season is nearing its end, people. But a few days, still offering TicketCity.com, still offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com, enter the discount code SDS20, that's Sally Delta Sally 20, while checking out to save $20 on your order. So go to TicketCity.com, that's TicketCity.com, T-I-C-K-E-T-C-I-T-Y.com, and get your SEC ducats today. All right, now it's time to bring in my colleague and buddy from Bleacher Report, National College football writer Adam Kramer. Adam is in New Orleans right now covering the Sugar Bowl, the one national semifinal. I'm in Pasadena covering the other national semifinal. We're both sitting in hotel rooms, and through the beauty that is the interweb, <laughs> we're going to talk college ball. I mean, what could be better? Adam, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. Yeah, I've got the, uh, I've got the rough assignment in New Orleans, and uh... – did, did take a nice grand tour of, of Bourbon Street last night, which is kind of under construction, by the way. And and so, like, as you're seeing, you could see a bottlenecking last night where people, there's just points where it's just like a, it's like we're a herd of cattle. And over the next <laughs> few nights, it's going to, it is going to be rough. There is going to be, the herd's going to get a lot larger as, as it, as we get close to these games. All right. Now, the, the beauty of this podcast is that it is, it is on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. So there are, loads of SEC fans who clearly not only follow the SEC but understand everything you're talking about when you talk about New Orleans, especially <laughs> the teams that we're discussing today, Alabama, Georgia, whose fans have been to New Orleans many, many times. So I'm quick question for you before we get into ball, okay? Have you yet been to the dungeon? I, I haven't. I, I actually – so I have, to, I have to give a recommendation, though, and I'm not like one guy to like just pass out racks, but I, I – Last night went to, I believe it's called Boondock Saints. I mean, it's a bar about, <laughs> that's dedicated to Boondock Saints, and it is a, it is a, it is a hole in the wall, which is my kind of bar. But literally in this in this bar, Boondock Saints, the movie, good movie, is playing on a television at all times, like all the time. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So, That's... so yeah. Oh, it, I mean, it, you know, if you have, you know, they don't really have any workable bathrooms in there. Again, part of the allure and the appeal of this place. But that's where I was last night, and it was it was great. So if you're down here, look up. I, I think it is called like Boondock Saints. I'm creative enough, and there it is. You walk in, and it's right on the flat screen, right above, next to it's watching Stanford TCU on one, and Boondock Saints on the other. Uh, all right, so a quick explainer of the dungeon for those who listen to this podcast and have never been there. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. Here's the, here's the beauty of the dungeon. It opens at 11 p.m., okay? And it closes when you open the door, it's light out again. So that's all you need to know about the dungeon. Loud music, cheap beer, 
great place. You got to go there it if you haven't great. gone there. All right, let's get into ball now. You're in New Orleans, and and Adam, what I wrote this week for my column at Saturday Down South was to me, this is the absolute perfect setup for Alabama. Doubt is swirling around the program. Uh, people are wondering whether they should have been there or not, or it should have been Ohio State, or even should have been USC or someone else. And to me, in my mind, every time we've seen Alabama, when people doubt them, and, and there's tangible proof of this, every time they're doubted, they come out and play their best game. And to me, that's what makes them the most dangerous team in this tournament right now. Yeah, you're right. And it's so funny because they're like a three-point favorite, too. And it's right, like right. this is the low point of Alabama. It feels like in a while. This feels like a low point, and yet it's a supremely gifted roster, and they're favored against the team that I think right now is the best team in college football in Clemson. So, but, but what do I know? So, yeah, there, and you can kind of sense that angst here, not necessarily from the players, but just from, from the local beat. And there is kind of this, this swirling feeling of what happens if they lose, not when they lose, but if, like, what will it lead to? And, you know that's kind of this strange, you know, pressure cooker that is that is Alabama now, and 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 thriving in it. But you know, to your point, it is a unique situation for for Alabama. They do feel somewhat vulnerable, and yet still extremely dangerous. And 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 I think because of it, there is going to be a different sense. There's a much grander respect for Clemson here, for for sure. You can sense it in the players and the coaches, and just the vibe. Not that there wasn't respect before, but it just feels different. The whole thing feels different. And I think that's good for, for a team that really needed that month to, to get right and get healthy. Um, I, I think it, it's going to help them a great deal. And it would not shock me at all if, if Bama comes out and, and looks like Bama. Adam, to me, it's so interesting looking at Clemson and seeing how Dabo's built that program and how you know we saw signs of it early. And now there is absolutely no doubt about it. That that Clemson program is modeled after the Alabama program. They win games on a line of scrimmage. They play great defense. They run the ball with power. And when they have an elite quarterback, they are absolutely almost impossible to beat. And, and, and right now, I think when I'm looking at these two teams, they're so similar in everything they do. They're so similar in what they do and in the, in the talent they have at specific positions. And in situations like this, if all things being equal, I always go back to best quarterback wins. And right now, I, I think Jalen Hurts is the better of the two quarterbacks right now. Well, you bring up a really good point, and it wasn't always this way. I remember covering the fir- the title game, you know, th- three years ago now, the first one between these two, and you, Clemson had some bellies. There were some bellies on Clemson. What I mean like that, you walk in, you size of Alabama, it's just like even their 300-pounders, 300, 330-pound men, they're just like blocks of human mass. Like they're just right. massive individuals who who don't look to have any extra fat on them. Clemson, you saw it. Over the years, the bellies have sort of just gone away. <laughs> they, they have, and, and, and Clemson has assembled. This is a very Bama-like roster that Clemson has, and and certainly front-end talent resembles a lot of what, what Alabama wants to do. The, the defensive line, of course, as you well know, is just stockpiled with, with human beings as, as big as Alabama is. I'm not sure there's a bigger person than, than Dexter Lawrence in this game. He's just, he's just massive. And in terms of quarterback play, the other thing that's striking to me and and this is going to be really interesting, is how big Kelly Bryant is. I mean, he's a massive dude. He looks like he should be playing a different position. So when when I assess these two guys, I, I love both of their talents. Who's better on third down in this game? I think is going to be huge. And neither of these two teams, and ultimately you never want to be in this situation regardless of what you're playing, but neither of these two teams I think are equipped for third and seven and third and eight against these defenses. Like, you just don't want it. But the, the quarterback – that can either run or, or pick up the most of those moments and extend those drives, I, I think that team's going to win. And I know, talking to Bama people, that is something they're really concerned with, is third and seven, third and eight. You look at the distribution of passes with, with Calvin Ridley and not really establishing another guy, that's the moment that they're most concerned about. I mean, I, the, the reality, too, Adam, is third and long, third and seven plus is going to be absolutely brutal on both sides of the ball and and not yep. not necessarily so much because uh, of the quarterbacks but because of the defenses they're going to be facing and you know the, the the thing i've been i've been talking about a lot too with, with jalen hurts if if you look at last year in that championship game what he did in that last drive has been completely 
completely forgotten because of what <laughs> happened with Deshaun Watson's last drive. I mean, I mean, the plays that Jalen Hurts made in that last drive, and I'm not even talking about the run for the touchdown, which was unbelievable. I'm talking about the third and forever throw that got them in position to get the fourth and short was the best throw of the season for him. And he was he's escaping a rush. He's moving in the pocket. He makes a great throw. Those were things, I think, that Alabama's going to have to get from him to beat Clemson because because they they might be able to run on Clemson and Clemson might be able to run on Alabama here and there. This game comes down to turnover, short fields, and which quarterback can actually make a play in those third and long situations. It's a great point on that on his play last year, and also I mean to me that Mississippi State game. I mean that drive he had, some of the throws he had, I thought were were brilliant, but. You know, I almost think, and there's so much discussion here, how, you know, how should Alabama attack it? They need to try to extend the field. To me, get the ball out of his hands quickly. Calvin Ridley, in terms of yards after catch guy, is as good as, as we got in this game right now. I actually kind of go with the traditional sort of old-school <laughs> mentality of Bama. And this, is all, this also, by the way, is a Bo Scarborough game. Like, this is a game where you may not be able to put, put on, you know, get huge chunks of rushing yards, put that 235-pound monster back right. there and have him run into that D-line. Like, right. Like, I mean, you know wait, hang I mean? on a second. Hang on one second. Here's a, this is what is so amazing to me. Why are you even saying that this is a Bo Scarborough game? Shouldn't every game be a Bo Scarborough game? Why is he not playing more? I have to say, I was out. I was down in Bama for a day prior to the playoff, and he was he was trying on a, a uniform for shoot, like a you know, photo shoot for the game. I, I that is a I don't know if that's real. I, that, that is a remarkable thing. Like he's not human. That dude is not. That is a <laughs> robot playing running back. And you're right. Every game should be a Bo Scarborough game. And we've talked about it. The turning point of last year's when he got hurt, the whole game changed. So, uh, you know, it's so hard that you can't just bottle that formula. He has not been as good this year. I think the time off is going to help him a little bit. But, yeah, as much as we're going to put on Jay, they need to run the ball. If, if both Scarborough is picking up huge chunks of yardage or even small chunks of yardage but pushing back on these, these monsters up front with Clemson, A, that's going to be a joy to watch because that's just going to be strength on strength. And, B, they're going to put Jalen in much better situations to, to have options to run, to throw, to do his thing. Uh, and here's another thing too. Damian Harris is a terrific player. I mean, I love yes, what he's yes. done this year. He needs to get the ball as well. But for God's sakes, you got to get Bo. Bo Scarborough has got to touch the ball 15 times. He just has to. All right. So before we go to the the other game, what what's your prediction on this game? Who do you like? I like Clemson close. Um, I, I think I think this is going to be another epic. But I think it's going to be a different kind of epic. You know, we've got high scoring games. I, I'm thinking in that you know 23 20 range and. and um, you know, it's, this is so hard. I mean, this is hard because I do think Alabama can easily win. And I, again, going back to the third down point, but I think Clemson is the best team in the country. And this is one of the few points when Bama's played anyone in the last five, six years where, and Bama hasn't obviously won every game where I think a team that they're playing stacks up talent wise. We just really haven't seen it. This is an instance where I think Clemson does that. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take Alabama because I think, and I shouldn't do this now because I should do this later in the later in the program for my pick segment. But I'm going to take Alabama because I, I just in these games it just seems like they get a turnover somewhere or they'll get a big play to happen yep. somewhere. Like like the the onside kick two years ago, something big will happen. And I and I just and right now I got to tell you, Adam, I I believe in the fact that they're healthy on defense, and I believe yep. in Jalen Hurts in big games. I, I like Jalen Hurts in this game. I really do. All right, so let's let's move over to Pasadena. Uh, let's talk about Georgia and Oklahoma. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a big story out here in Pasadena. Baker Mayfield has missed the last three non-football events at the Rose Bowl. They've held him out, and apparently he has the flu. And I talked to uh, to uh, Gundy today, and he said the quarterbacks coach at, at Oklahoma, and he said it's not a problem. He's fine. But my point is, you know, if if you've got the flu and you're dealing with the flu for a few days, it certainly affects your conditioning. And and Baker's a guy, not only will it affect your conditioning, it also affects the way, you know, your energy. And Baker's a guy that kind of feeds off that. And and to me, that might be an issue if it, if it lingers any longer. I, I think it's a huge story. I mean, it's hard to know how there's flu and then there's flu, right? And it sounds like he's right. practicing, which is good. But he's the most important player in the playoff. Like, for his team, he is the most important player 
without a doubt, in this whole tournament. Of all four teams, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. He is. So the fact that there's anything going, anything with him that's throwing him off of his routine is a big deal. You bring up a really good point in terms of energy, and that is so much a part of his game that if something is off kilter, um, beyond having to deal with the best defense he's faced by a significant margin and the fastest defense he's seen by a significant margin, not being fully up to speed. He's got a few days to get right, so hopefully he is. That is a big deal. I, I, I had seen that kind of trickle out today. At first I saw Baker Mayfield not here with, with no reason attached. I was like, oh, God. Uh, I thought that was going to be a New Orleans story. Um, but, no, I'm glad at least it sounds like he'll be able to hopefully get right. And, and look, Oklahoma's going to need him to get right if, if they're going to win this game. I, I'm telling you right now, Adam, I, I think he's so good. And I've never th- said this about big games like this because I'm a big believer in you got to play defense. I think he's so good, he could actually get Oklahoma to basically outscore Georgia and outscore the winner of the other game to win the national title. I think he's that good. Um, I, I, I realize that the Oklahoma defense is in a very tough spot right now when you've got Chubb and Michelle and Swift running downhill at you. And they've got the ability to throw the ball over the top with, with a quarterback that's getting better and better. But Oklahoma, as far as pure offense and pure, like if you're a defense, you're dealing with all the threats that they have, the, the guys that can get open, the guys that can run after the catch, uh, the way Anderson's playing the tailback. Anderson has, has been one of the best players in the last month of the season. This is a dangerous Oklahoma team. It's kind of fun, too, because it's very old school. Like their, their biggest weapons outside of the quarterbacks, the fullback and the tight end. You know, and they've got some good options at wide receiver, but what they do, they put defenses in such awkward spots because of that. Now, the interesting thing for Georgia is you have the best linebacker in the country who's equipped to, to handle all of this athleticism for sure in Roquan Smith. And that's schematically, that's as fun of a matchup as we'll have in the playoff. My concern, and people talk about the defense, I'm not necessarily worried about Oklahoma's defense giving up big plays. I mean, look, they can do that. But if George, if I'm Georgia, I, I turn this game into a meat grinder, like an Alabama oh, yeah. game where oh, you're yeah. just picking up four or five yards at a time and you just wear them out. It's kind of like what they – I mean, honestly, it's what they did to Auburn, right? Like you just right. – you right. make this game miserable and you make the sideline miserable on these guys just hoping they don't have to get back out here. You don't need 80-yard plays. You need seven- and eight-yard plays. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at what they got, those three tailbacks, my God, all three of them oh, can can wear on you. I mean, especially Chubb and Swift can just absolutely wear on you. And Sonny Michelle's a guy, you know, the big home run guy. But but it, to me, another thing is is I think the way Jake Fromm has kind of become this guy that they were worried about what he did in third and seven-plus situations to a guy now really almost, when you think about it, Adam, one game, that SEC championship game, He's playing with so much confidence. You watch that game and you watch the throws he made in that game. I mean, he's a guy now that they can say, okay, we need a play on third and long right now, and we're confident that Jake can make that play. And I really believe in the first five, six, maybe even seven, more than halfway in the season, they, he wasn't that type of quarterback yet. I was thinking about this today, and, and you could probably provide some perspective on it. Like when Jalen was – playing in this game last year as a freshman it was like oh my god you know how is he going to be able to handle it I think in my mind you almost forget that Fromm is as young as he is like he just kind of it's just different like the 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 way he's perceived is different the way he's kind of grown is a little bit different and so out there I mean how comfortable is he like does he look like a guy who's just kind of naturally fitting in in terms of you know being asked a million questions most of them probably not very good I'm telling you right now Adam he he literally is a guy that nothing phases him. This is a kid who pitched in the Little League World Series when he was young. He he you know he he gets to Georgia. He signs with Georgia knowing that that Jacob Eason's there, and Jacob Eason could very well play three years there before he goes on to the NFL. He signs with Georgia knowing he's there and knowing he's gonna have to beat him out. Then his, he doesn't beat him out. Then Jacob Eason goes down after the first series in the first game of the season. And all of a sudden, boom, you're the guy. And he's just, yeah. he's just, he literally is a guy that nothing affects him. And, and, and he could be the first freshman, true freshman, to win a national championship since a guy named Jameel Holloway at Oklahoma. Years upon years upon years ago, back when Barry Switzer was coaching <laughs> Oklahoma. It's, uh, he is really, really talented. I remember doing a story, a recruiting story down in Georgia last year. And you drive through, you know, Georgia, and it's the only name that would come up. 
and, and the and the word on him was just wait and wait. And you're right. It was like, well, he's kind of got an issue with the five-star kid in front of him. There's a little bit of a log jam there. And yet for, for the season to go the way it has, like he is – he is not like he can win them that game if he has to. Like he's not necessarily a. Li- I don't view him as a liability. I think they'll be very smart in the way they they use him. But he made some throws in that SEC championship game on the sidelines that were just dazzling moments. Man, he is. is I didn't know that about the Little League World Series either, which is fascinating and yet feels relevant given the size of the magnitude of all. Absolutely. Of Right, right, and 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 you're right about the SEC championship game. He was he was making throws from the numbers to the sidelines that he never did before, never. Yep. And, and it's it's almost like it's almost like Jim Cheney saying, "Yeah, we're confident in him now. Now we know what he can do. So now we're going to open it up a little bit." All right. So so who do you who do you like in this game, man? Georgia, Oklahoma. I like Georgia. I, and again, I I should I should say this that in both of these games. There would be no result that would surprise me. A blowout, a blowout, either would kind of surprise me because I think these are pretty evenly matched teams. The points spread says that too. So I, I like Georgia, but I think any four of these teams are capable of winning it all. By the way, how cool is that? Like that is why you have a playoff. But I like Georgia. I think they'll dictate pace. And while Oklahoma's got the best college football player on the planet, I think there's a there, the talent gap in in other places, other positions is probably going to be a, a little bit too wide. That's just my thought, and yet Baker Mayfield's going to come out probably throw for 350 yards and make me look like an idiot, and if that's the case, that's fine. <laughs> all right, so, so here's, the way, here's the way I'm looking at it. All right? I, I, I like Georgia because I like the way they play defense, and more than anything, I like the way they tackle. Georgia can tackle. So you're not going to yeah. see C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown turn a little four-yard four, four hitch into a 60-yard touchdown. You're not going to see Andrews get open on a little skinny on a little skinny post and turn a 12 or 15 yard catch into a 50 yard touchdown like it happens in the Big 12. That's not going to happen. Georgia can tackle, and I think, like you said earlier, Georgia will dictate tempo. And I think both of these games, we haven't had good semifinals in three years. This, I think, this nope. year, both semifinals will be fantastic. I think they're both going to be four quarter games. And as I always say, I root for the best story for me because I'm a selfish dude. And, and, the and the best and the best story for me is both SEC teams to win, so it's complete chaos and every other conference is screaming about expanding the playoff. Not because I want to expand the playoff, just because it's the best story and it gives me more things to write about. I was uh, I was on a radio interview the other night and I was asked a really good question. I've been thinking about it for two days. Is what's the best matchup for college football? Like what would be the and, and in truth I'm kind of with you I'm look I'm I'm from Chicago I guess I'm a Big Ten guy at heart but the the idea of two SEC teams playing for a title and just the sheer outrage that would come with it I, I enjoy outrage like I, I kind of enjoy when people just get mad about it <laughs> that would be that would be kind of fun and and look Alabama is fun in every game they play because there's always that just that general disdain for them because they are who they are and they've won the way they are so. If you're going to match up two SEC teams, I feel like these would be two pretty good SEC teams to match up. Not only that, it's it's two SEC teams in Atlanta. It's I mean, it's the flipping Southern Super Bowl is what it would be. I mean, people would be screaming about it. All right, listen, man. I really, really appreciate you taking time. Um, have a great time in New Orleans. Again, if you stop by the dungeon, don't say hello for me because, you know, I'm not sure I'd... <laughs> I'm not sure I want to talk Welcome to those people. Welcome back in there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Have a great time out there. All right, man. Thank you. See you, buddy. All right, that's Adam Kramer, my good friend from Bleacher Report. Adam does some fantastic work over at Bleacher Report. You can read him on Twitter. He is at kegs and eggs, K-E-G-S-N-E-G-G-S. And for those deep-rooted SEC fans, kegs and eggs is kind of a moniker. Uh, at Ohio State, when they have early games, the noon kicks, they got kegs and eggs in the morning. Great breakdown there of the semifinals. We want to get more into that now. And I, and I think, you know, what I initially brought up with Adam, to me, is is really the X factor of this entire playoff. I really believe the fact that Alabama didn't play in the SEC championship game, got an extra week of rest, and now we're probably looking at about five weeks of rest for that damaged linebacking core. The injured linebacking core that really w- was just taking a beating in the month of November and, and really was the reason they lost that Auburn game. They could not stop on Johnson from running the ball. And again, 
I mean, Jarrett Stidham played terrific at quarterback, and that's another reason why they lost that game. And Auburn should have won the game, and Auburn won the game. Better team that day. But the linebackers were a significant problem for Alabama and will be a significant problem if they're not healthy and ready to play in this game. But it looks like, without Dylan Moses, it looks like they should be fairly healthy at that spot. And I think if you've got a healthy and a motivated Alabama, a team, even though they're favored to win the, to win the game against Clemson, even though they'd be favored, according to Vegas, against any of the th- other three teams in the playoff, they are the, clearly the team that is sticking out right now. They're the team that people are questioning whether they should be here or not. They're the team that people clearly don't like year after year because when you've won four of eight national championships, this is what happens. You know, once you become the champion, once you hit the mountain, then suddenly you become the hated. And Clemson's going to feel that too. If Clemson wins this year and they go back to back, next year Clemson will be maybe even more than Alabama, the most hated team in college football because that's the way it works. You're loved in sports until you become a champion, until you start winning. And when you start winning a lot and winning consistently, then all of a sudden you're hated. And Alabama feeds off this idea that maybe they shouldn't be there. Alabama feeds off the idea that maybe this might start to be the downturn of Alabama. Every time we hear this, every over the years since Nick Saban has been in Alabama, in the 11 years, and I, and I spoke earlier about this with Adam. It, we're talking about tangible proof of this. Every time Alabama gets put in that situation where there might be some questions, I'll tell you, they come out and play their best games. Let's go all the way back to 2008. They lost back-to-back games to, to Florida in the SEC championship game and to Utah in the Sugar Bowl. And the idea was, well, maybe they're just not there yet. Maybe Nick Saban's not going to be able to do what he did at LSU. No team that's at the elite level of college football is going to lose two straight games like that and is going to not show up for a bowl game against Utah. So what happens? They start 2009 and literally run roughshod over everybody. They beat six ranked teams in that season by an average scoring margin of 15 points. They gave up 98 points in nine SEC SEC games. That was a hell of a season. In 2010, after Saban's most talented team underachieved all season, it blew a 24-point lead in Tuscaloosa to Auburn and lost that Iron Bowl. And all of a sudden, we're thinking, wow, Alabama hit the mountain. They won it all in 2009. The next year in 2010, everybody coming back, Saban's most talented team, still his most talented team, still. Still his team, probably his best team of all with 2010, and he might even admit that. They underachieve all season. They lose to South Carolina. They lose to LSU. They blow the 24-point lead at home to Auburn. Cam Newton's running around the stadium after the game with his finger to his mouth, quieting the crowd. And you start to think, well, you know what? Maybe this team doesn't understand how to react to winning. A month later, everybody's thinking, well, you know what? They're going to do the same thing they did after the 2008 season when they tanked against Utah in the Sugar Bowl. So what do they do? They go play number nine, Michigan State, and win by 42. 42. In 2011, after 96 loss to LSU at home, you remember that game. Two turnovers, four missed field goals. Kept Alabama from winning its division and playing in the SEC championship game. They went out. Got a break from the BCS computers. Remember those lovely BCS computers? Got a rematch with LSU in the BCS national title game and won 21 nothing. LSU had 112 total yards. This is tangible proof, everyone. This is, this is what happens when you take this Alabama team and you doubt them or you throw doubt or the idea or the narrative is that this team is on its way down or they don't know how to respond to adversity, or they don't know how to respond to success. Johnny Manziel's crazy performance in 2012, the unbelievable touchdown. Remember that? So the Tide refocuses, recenters, beats Auburn 49 nothing, plays an unbelievable game in maybe the best SEC championship game ever in a last-second win over Georgia, and then absolutely demolishes Notre Dame 
to win the national championship. I'm telling you, year after year, we see these things. We see this tangible proof. In 2015, after a second straight loss to Ole Miss, when they gave up 43 points at home, the narrative was Alabama had reached maximum success under Saban. And, and I was one of the guys that wrote that. Back when I was working at Sporting News, I wrote that, that this was it. This was the beginning of the end for the Alabama dynasty. And what happens? They absolutely just turned it up. 12 wins later, seven overranked teams by an average of 20 points. Alabama won it all again. So here we are now. The program that lost last year's national championship game on the final second with that pick play that lost to Auburn, stumbling all over itself in that game. Those delays, those procedure calls, just just weren't the same team. The injuries at linebacker, the way the defense was missing tackles. And then all of a sudden, the College Football Selection Committee gets them in the playoff. And now we have the doubts. Now we keep hearing from everybody, the linebackers are a mess. The backups aren't any good. The quarterback can't throw the ball when he's forced to make plays in the passing game. The offense can't choose a tailback. The lack of continuity has disrupted what could be a, a, a destructive run game. They don't rush the passer like they used to, which, of course, exposes weaknesses in coverage. On and on and on. It's very easy to pick apart the team with the most talent, the team that should win every game. And here we are right now. They're getting written off. And I'm telling you right now, this is when Alabama is its most dangerous. This is when they play their best. This is when they get zeroed in. And this is when you really see what it means to win recruiting national championships year after year after year. Because at the end of the day, it's about dudes. It's about the guys on the field that have to make plays when the ball is snapped. It's about the guys that go all out for 110% every five seconds. And when Alabama does that, when they've got everybody on that team going 110% for the five, six, seven seconds of every play, forget it. They cannot be beat. It's simple as that. And I think that's where we are right now. I think they're motivated, they're ready to play, and they're going to play really well. I mean, you look at this, pr- this program, you know, Saban likes to call it this organization. You look what they've done and how much better they still could have been. I mean, they lost that. You go all the way back to 2008 again. They lost that championship game to Florida when Tim Tebow threw three third-down touchdown passes that to this day, to this day, to this day. And believe me, I was talking to Saban in his office in August, and he talked about this. Saban still marvels over those three throws that Tebow made. He put them exactly where only his receivers could make the catches, and that's number one. And number two, all three catches, all three throws were unbelievably tough catches that had to be made. He's still upset about that, still thinks they could have won that game. And, and, you know, they win that game, they beat Oklahoma. There's another championship. Look in 2013, the kick six. I mean, are you telling me if Alabama doesn't figure out to get a way to get that game to overtime, win that game in overtime, got a very good chance to beat Florida State in that game. They matched up very well with Florida State. Look at the 2014 team, the one that lost to Ohio State in the, in the college football semifinals. Very limited, very limited at quarterback. I think Blake Sims was very good with, with the skills he had. But, I mean, he, he's not a guy that's going to win you a championship, and they almost done it with him. Not only that, defensively, if you look at what they did to Ohio State in that second half defensively, and really what they did in the fourth quarter, they held Ohio State to three three and out on four of its last five drives. The only drive they didn't hold them to a three and out was when Zeke Elliott ran for that game-clinching 85-yard touchdown run. They simply just couldn't get enough from their offense in the fourth quarter. I mean, this team is so close, so close to having five or six or even seven national championships. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And that, and, you know, and that leads us to, the, to really the ultimate argument, I, especially if you're an Alabama fan, especially if you're a decades-long Alabama fan. Because if Alabama wins it again this year and Saban wins five national titles in nine years and, and, and you start to look at what has happened, 
the inevitable comes. He's going to be compared to Bear Bryant. And I'm telling you right now, if they win, if they win a national championship th- this year, there's no doubt right now he will be the best program, best coach in that program's history. Yes, even better than Bear Bryant. And if if you put him on that level, then all of a sudden there's no question about who the greatest coach in college football history is. He he's got a chance to do that. And, and I and I think we've been so focused on how Alabama wins and a lot and, and, and a lot of people, not just the media, but fans in general, have been so impacted by the the weight of Alabama winning year after year after year that we don't really understand and we don't really embrace and celebrate the reality of what this guy has done at Alabama. What he's accomplished, the national championships, the recruiting dominance, the NFL first round picks, in an era really where television money has not only spurned tremendous growth in the sport and the ability to win big at, you know, at programs, it's almost created a bit of parody among you know, Power 5 programs that have the ability to want to win. And there's a lot there. There's 60-something Power 5 programs, and probably a good 40 or more have an administration, a university that is committed to winning big. So th- there's a lot that can happen when you put that m- amount of television money in those programs. And Alabama just continues to win and win big in the best conference in college football. It's amazing, really, what he's done. I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely amazing. And, and to me, the, the big question is, when does it end? When does he finally say, all right, I've had enough? And again, I was talking to him in August for a, a profile that I wrote on Bleacher Report. It went out this week, actually. Um, and and I, I was struck by the fact that when I started talking to him about you know, the idea of when it's ending, you know, he said to me, it was very interesting, he said, it's just a little bit scary to think about what it would be like without football. So I try not to think about it. And when have you ever heard Nick Saban use the word scared? You know, and, and I, think it's, I think all coaches get to this point where when you've done something in your life for so long, and his, his point was, look, I, I've played or coached on a team since I was nine years old. When you've done that for so long, when you've done it for 50-plus years, it, it is who you are. It's the fabric of who you are. So all of a sudden, someone starts asking you about, well, what happens when it's taken away from you? Well, of course you're scared. You have no idea what's going to happen. And, and to me, that kind of made him very human. And it was interesting to see him talk about that and discuss that um, and talk about how it's the relationships with his players and with his coaching staff that really is what's, is what's you know, important to him. Winning is great. Winning is what they all try to do. But it's the relationships that really have lasting impact, not just for Nick Saban, but for all coaches, all guys that have done it for so many years and have invested their lives in it. It's more than just winning games. All right, let's move on. By the way, Texas A&M still does not have a defensive coordinator. South Carolina still does not have an offensive coordinator, although, although, although we learned earlier this week that Lane Kiffin stopped by the South Carolina practices in Tampa, the Apple practices, and talked with Will Muschamp. I'm sure they talked about coordinators and who fits and what schemes you use. And, you know, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm telling you right now, if I was Will Muschamp and I needed a guy to bring my offense into the 21st century, yet I still wanted to run the ball with power, that guy is Kendall Bryles. I'm telling you right now, Kendall Bryles, would be a gigantic upgrade at South Carolina. And again, you got to sell it to your AD, you got to sell it to your university president because even though Kendall Bryles has not been officially charged with anything to do with the Baylor scandal, he still was part of a lawsuit that was filed by a woman who alleged sexual assault at Baylor. And in that lawsuit, Bryles allegedly told a Dallas area recruit, do you like white women? Because we have a lot of them at Baylor and they love football players. You know, and in, in the environment we're in right now where there's such a heightened awareness of sexual assault on women, and, and it absolutely should be, and I'm all for it, it's a, it's a tough sell. That's a tough sell for South Carolina to hire Kendall Bryles. But you, you also got to look at the other side of it. He hasn't been convicted of anything. And you could say, well, he's, he's, you know, he's tainted because he's part of that staff. And that's just, I mean, that's just not fair. You, you, you don't know 
what he knew. It hasn't proven that he knew anything. And at that point, you can't just automatically stain a guy because he was part of a staff. So, I mean, you can do your due diligence, which is what FAU did. You can talk to Baylor people. You can talk to the Pepper Hamilton law firm that did the investigation for Baylor. You can see what kind of connection, if any, Kendall, Kendall Bryles had to that entire situation at Baylor. And then you make your decision. And, and again, to me, if you're, we're doing this based solely on on-the-field work. It's not even close. I mean, I, I, if I, and if I were Will Muschamp, if that's all it was about, I'd go offer Kendall Bryles a million dollars and say, come, million a year. Three-year contract, million a year, come run the offense. You have complete control over it. That FAU offense was Kendall Bryles' offense. It was not Lane Kiffin's offense. And Lane has made that very clear that that was Kendall's offense, and that was the only way he could get Kendall Browse to Florida Atlantic if he gave him complete control of the offense. South Carolina hiring Kendall Browse would be a game changer, an absolute game changer, because the talent is there. They get a guy that knows offense, knows 21st century spread principles and power run principles, and has a detailed history of what his offenses do both at Baylor and Florida Atlantic. I mean, that's, that's a guy that will absolutely be a game changer, not only in South Carolina, but in the SEC East and the SEC. Okay, time to move on to the picks portion of the program. It's our weekly picks. We've missed the last couple weeks with the picks because, you know, we're waiting for bowl season to kind of hit its stride, and here we are hitting its stride. We've got six games involving SEC teams, some fun games, some competitive games, and some games that could be blowouts. We're going to get right into it, and before we get into it, I just want to say one thing. I'm not calling these bowl games by their sponsor names, okay? Unless they're like TicketCity.com and they're good friends of this podcast and the Saturday Down South Podcast Network, guess what? I'm not using their names, all right? Let's start right off the bat. Louisville, minus five against Mississippi State in the Gator Bowl. Gator Bowl, not some kind of sponsor bowl. This game to me, I mean, seriously, this is an absolute no-brainer. I, I have no idea why this line is so low. Granted, Louisville underachieved this year, but you're talking about a Mississippi State team that will be without its best player, Nick Fitzgerald, without its coach, without its defensive coordinator, a team that literally is in transition right now. New coach, new system, new, new everything, and without its best player. And oh, by the way, you got to play the best player in college football or the most dynamic player in college football because I think the best player is probably Baker Mayfield, but the most dynamic player in college football in Lamar Jackson. To me, an absolute no-brainer this game. And it's unfortunate because I, I really like the way Mississippi State played this year. You know, and, and I think you know, they got a bad rap you know, after they lost that George game big. And I think a lot of people thought, well, it's just, it was a fluke what they did to LSU. And it's a fluke how they won those, those other games this year. And now we really saw what they were against Ole Miss. And that's just ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's a very good team. A very good team. And I'm not just saying that because from week one I was saying they were my sleeper in the West. And it just didn't happen. But this game is just, I mean, this is brutal. I, I, I don't know. How, number one, I don't know how they're going to stop at Louisville. And number two, I don't know how they're going to score points. I just can't see it. I mean, to me, this is, a, if you're doing your bowl confidence pool, this would be my number one. My number one lock of a win. All right, let's move along to the Outback Bowl there in Tampa. It's a tough spot for South Carolina. I think tough because, you know, you've got an interim offensive coordinator. Um, you, you got a team that really has struggled offensively for the last month of the season. And to me, it's just, I, I don't, it, it's hard to see it because they've got talent on that team. Again, Debo Samuel is not there, okay? He's one of the three most dynamic players in the league. And I get that. But they're deep at running back. They're really good at wide receiver. They're a lot better than people think. And Jake Bentley, to me, is a guy that if he's coached properly, and he's, put in, and he's put in situations to be successful. He's got a fantastic arm. He's got great quarterback smarts. He's a first-round pick. I've talked to scouts about him as well, and they love him too. They think he also has the potential to be the first-round pick. But he's got to be in an offense that suits him. He's got to be with a quarterback's coach that knows how to coach the game and knows how to coach the position. 
And, and right now you're in a situation, again, another transition situation. This is what you see in these bowl games when you start getting coaching changes and, and assistant coaching changes. And it's, it's a tough spot. And I, and I think Michigan's very good on defense. I love what Don Brown does. Uh, you know, they played very well defensively all year. And this is a tough spot for South Carolina for a team that's in, tra- in transition on offense going against a very good defense at Michigan. Michigan's an 8.5-point favorite, and i got to tell you, I'm laying those 8.5. I'm taking Michigan minus 8.5 because I think it's going to be very hard for South Carolina to score, and I think Michigan's going to get one, maybe even two defensive touchdowns. That's how they're going to win that game. Okay, let's move on to the Peach Bowl. Fun game. Unbeaten, the only unbeaten FBS team, UCF, playing Auburn. One of those games where you always wonder who has the motivation. Which team is going to be motivated to win this game? Clearly UCF has the motivation because they're the group of five team. They're playing the big boy from, from the power five schools. They're in a major bowl game. You know They did it a few years ago against Baylor and beat Baylor. So they have a history of that. They're a fun team to watch. You know Mackenzie Milton's a fun quarterback. He's got 35 touchdown passes this year. No one even knows about this kid. He's had a great season. He completes 70% of his passes. I mean, Traquan Swift's a fantastic wide receiver. You know, I think Adrian Killens is a, is a solid runner. They've, they've got a solid offense where they can score on just about anybody, okay? Now, as far as pure talent, and if you line these guys up, they have no business beating Auburn. But how motivated will Auburn be? Karon Johnson is going to play. He'll be healthy. Uh, I, I think the way that Jared Sidham played in the, in the last month, last five, six weeks of the season – really changed the way they played on offense at Auburn. Uh, I look for him to take another big step as far as throwing the ball. He's had 15 bowl practices now there. That's 15 more practices to get more comfortable in what they're doing in the offense. Stidham is going to be an absolute star next year. And and this is a chance for him to kind of make his mark in this bowl season and kind of let everybody say, wow, this is a guy. If you want to talk about a Heisman candidate next year, this is going to be a guy. And, and I think you look at, we've been talking again, transition, teams in transition, and UCF clearly is a team in transition. You know, Scott, Scott Frost is serving two masters right now, and a majority of his staff serving two masters right now, recruiting for Nebraska, getting things squared away and straightened up and set up in Nebraska, and also coaching this team at UCF. And I don't care what you say, those are distractions. Those are absolutely distractions, and that's going to be a tough spot. But, but, nine and a half points. Auburn's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Auburn wins the game. They're not winning by nine-and-a-half points. So I take that nine-and-a-half in UCF. I think UCF will keep it close, but I think Auburn's going to find a way to win in the fourth quarter. All right, let's move along to the Citrus Bowl. Not the sponsor bowl, but the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Beautiful downtown Orlando. Notre Dame against LSU. This game's been going back and forth. Uh, Pickham and, and Notre Dame favorite. Then it was an LSU favorite. Now, right now, Notre Dame's getting one point against LSU. And, and again, once again, transition. We're talking about teams in transition. Here's LSU. In the last couple days, we've learned that Ed Orgeron is going to get rid of the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, the guy who makes $1.5 million a year, the guy who completely changed the way Danny Etling played and turned LSU's offense into something that actually was pretty good for much of the season. Danny Etling only threw two interceptions all season. He threw the ball better downfield. He had trouble against Alabama, missed probably four deep throws. But for the most part in the season, he played pretty well, and that offense played pretty well. But I think the the the, the we were we were probably this the, the cast was probably died probably in that Troy game when Orgeron began the game by telling Matt Canada stop all the shifts and everything. Let's do what we do best. Let's run power football, and LSU could do nothing in the first half. Fell behind big against Troy. They came out in the second half and went back to what they were doing with Canada. Scored three touchdowns. Couldn't win the game. Um, I, I, I think that did it. Clearly, there's some friction there between those two, and that's where that's going to end. And I think it's just it's going to play out in this game. It just absolutely is going to play out in this game. You know, and I think you look at Notre Dame, a much better team than what happened down the stretch at Notre Dame. I think Brandon Wimbush played really well in his first year as a starter. I mean, his completion percentage, barely completed 50% of his passes, so he struggled in the passing game a bit. Still only threw six interceptions, had a 16-6 to touchdown interception ratio. The deal for, for Notre Dame, Josh Adams will be healthy. Josh Adams, when he's healthy, 
wow, you want to talk about a downhill runner. What do you have, like 1,400 yards this year? Just a fantastic runner. And I think that's going to be the difference in that game, the, the way Notre Dame can run on LSU and the way they can set up Brandon Wimbush. So I don't know where the game's going to end as far as line-wise before the game begins, whether it's going to be Notre Dame plus one or it's going to be a pick or it's going to be LSU and one. I don't care. Whatever it is, I'm taking, I'm taking Notre Dame. All right, and just to recap the two big games we broke down earlier with Adam Kramer, I'm taking Georgia. I think that game is a pick em right now. Also, much like the Notre Dame-LSU game, it's kind of vacillating between a pick em and a, and, and a Georgia one-point favorite or two-point favorite. Uh, most places have it right now as a pick. So, again, whether it's a pick or whether it's one point, I'm taking Georgia. I think Georgia wins that game. Alabama is a one-and-a-half-point favorite right now versus Clemson. Some places have it at two or two-and-a-half. It's generally one-and-a-half. Uh, again, I like Alabama. I'll give that one-and-a-half. I want that Georgia-Alabama national championship game, not only because it would be fun to see those two teams playing it in a championship game in the city of Atlanta, the Southern Super Bowl, but I, it, it will make the people of college football absolutely go bat crazy, and that's what it's all about. If you want the expanded playoff, which I think a majority of fans do, that's what you want. You want to see Georgia and Alabama in that championship game because if that happens, you will see the, the, the main power brokers in the Pirate 5 conferences, and I'm not just talking about coaches or athletic directors. I'm talking about university presidents where the real work gets done, where real change happens. If you want to see that real change, if you want to see the field expanded to six teams or eight teams, it's never going to 16. I'd like to see it stay at four. If it does move, if it does expand, I think six is much better than eight because then you still leave that idea of you're playing for something in the regular season. You're playing for the one of the two first-round buys. If you want that, you want Georgia and Alabama to win these two games and set up that, that idea, that narrative of, oh, here we go again with the SEC. It started in 2011 when LSU and Alabama played in the BCS National Championship game. That was the thing that spurned the change to the playoff. It could happen again this time around. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Had a great time today talking ball with my good friend Adam Kramer. Watch the bowl games, everyone. Enjoy yourself. Don't get too crazy out there. Happy New Year to everyone. We'll talk to you again real soon.